0: Hey there, you're listening to Drop the Mic Mondays. Make your Mondays a whole lot better and a lot less militant. I'm Shauna Foster, and I'm so glad that you decided to listen to our podcast. You're going to love this episode where we bring on Aaron Hughes, renowned Chicago artist, to talk about how movements, arts, and culture move power in a way that you probably weren't considering. And yes, I still have not bought a very nice microphone yet, but I will especially if you visit us at store.aboutfaceveterans.org and buy some of our merch. That's a way to keep this podcast going and keep up your anti-war ASMR. Have a listen to our episode and thanks for coming. Welcome everybody to another installment of Drop the Mic Mondays uh, with your hosts Shauna Foster and Natasha Erskine, co-directors for About Face Veterans Against the War. We have a special episode for you today, but if you're tuning in for the first time, we broadcast this live on Monday, 2 p.m. Eastern every week. And not Natasha and I as co-directors of About Face, get to hear a lot about the anti-war movement and what's going on. And we wanna share that with you because there's a lot of powerful work. We've interviewed Brown's Costs of War Project, Ramon Mejia with Grassroots Global Justice, and we've got another special guest for you today. So make your Mondays a whole lot better and a lot less militant by joining us today. We are so glad that you can be with us for Drop the Mic Mondays.
1: Hey, good afternoon, everyone. Good to be on with you uh, again, Shauna. Hey, everyone. Uh, listen, technology happens. i um, having some tech difficulties. I hope that as a minimum, um, you know, that I am present here with you um, and can hear my voice despite my video um, challenges today. I'm ready to get into a great conversation. Listen, Shauna, when we talked about this this show and why it was so important to spend the time, you know, to communicate with our community and to talk about um, all of the isms, right? And the intersectionality of, of of them and where we find ourselves in this current moment. Um, and while we're hearing from the community, this is a time that we can have some, some righteous conversations with comrades who are doing great work um, and really wanna be able to share that. So if you're watching this live, um, please go ahead and share this link with friends, families, your network, um, and invite them to join us in a discourse. We have a chat feature where if you're, you know, on with us on YouTube or Facebook, um, drop a comment in the chat, engage with us, let us know you're here. If you have questions, um, you know, we'll be able to get to that before, um, you know, time permitting before we end today. Um, so let's get into it, Shana.
0: Yeah, today we have our special guest, Aaron Hughes. Aaron Hughes is a longtime organizer with Iraq Veterans Against the War and has now moved on to uh, doing, well, it hasn't really moved on. You've never left the anti war movement, right? Aaron, I feel like you've moved on from. From, from me, but you have moved on to greater, bigger and better things in Chicago and uh, doing lots of great stuff that I can't wait to get to talking to you about. And Natasha, are you ready for the first question for our illustrious guest?
1: Well, first I just wanna like reflect just a minute because listen, uh, Aaron was the first person um, of the uh, Iraq veterans against war um, or, you know, about face organization years ago. And I think that was like 2016, 2017 over at the SEIU uh, union hall. I think you were doing an art build for the poor people's campaign. I can't remember, but it's been a minute. And so it is really good to have you, to have you on with us. I want to read just a little bit about like who you are just to introduce you to the community who may not, you know, already be aware. Um, Erin is an artist, curator, organizer, teacher, um, anti-war activist, and Iraq um, war veteran. Uh, You work collaboratively in diverse spaces and media to create meaning out of personal and collective trauma, deconstruct and transform systems of oppression and seek liberation. Working through an interdisciplinary practice rooted in drawing and printmaking, um, Erin develops projects that deconstruct militarism and related institution of dehumanization. Um, these projects often utilize popular research strategies, experiment from forms of direct democracy, and operate in solidarity with people most impacted um, by stru- uh, st- structural violence. And that's what I've seen you do. I've seen you in, um, you know, veteran spaces. I've seen you in grassroots spaces. I see you on the south side of the city doing art builds. Um, you are really doing a lot of work. So I just want, you know, before we jump too much into questions, like, is there something that I didn't cover? What are you currently doing these days? Um, and then we'll get into some more of the history.
2: Oh, well, I'm just, I'm really honored to be on your show, Natasha and Shauna. It's great to be here with you all and, you know, get to re- connect in this way. And, um, you know, It's a hustle there's so much work to do all over the place and i'm honored that i get to connect and be a part of it that's really kind of how it's been and um that me that's taken me to a lot of different places and a lot of different spaces um but you know what i continuously see and learn and hear is how interconnected all the struggles are and um how important it is to build across movements and across communities to uh, change and how art has just always been this way for people to tell their stories and to build power collectively. So i um, honored to get to be here with you all and kind of chat a little bit about that um, today. Well,
0: we're really glad to have you. Um, it's been awesome to... Um, I first got to know you when you called me to do the NATO march in Chicago um, back in 2012. Although I think we met before then, but you were just like one of the white dudes floating around in the background, you know, veteran, whatever. So there's many of you. But when you called me to do the NATO thing, I think that's when I first met you as like an organizer with About Face back in the day. So um, it's been really awesome to see, uh, you know, your... your um, you know, how you've been a service to the movement from organizing that march to seeing your art everywhere. Um, and I'm just so glad that you're here with us today. Yeah.
2: Well, thanks. Yeah. And it was, it's, you know, it was wonderful getting to connect with you back in the day. And um, I think, you know, I can't remember if it was right after NATO protests, the, um, or right uh, before that you came out um, to Chicago and participated in a program with Michael Rakowitz uh an amazing iraqi american artist who uh had a project called enemy kitchen and his whole project was about highlighting the racism underneath um our ongoing conflicts and lifting up this idea of inherently who's identified as the enemy and so he began to cook his mother's recipes from iraq and uh um, it was beautiful to get to connect with him and work with him and i think uh that was one of the first spaces we maybe spent time together um, talking and kind of um, collaborating.
0: Yeah, I remember Enemy Kitchen, that food was delicious (laughs) and it was uh, really hot. Um, And I also wanna show this real quick. One of our fans, Garrett is watching with us today. Hey Garrett, thanks for supporting us and watching and saying fuck war. We really appreciate all the work you're doing over as the ED at Veterans for Peace. So glad you're here with us. Absolutely,
1: let's get into it. Aaron, tell us uh, about your anti-war movement history. What brought you um, to the space?
2: Um, so I was deployed to Kuwait and Iraq, 2003, 2004, um, rather kind of early on. I um, My first mission into Iraq was May, 2003. Um, I was a truck driver. Um, and, uh, you know, as a truck driver with a truck from Vietnam without plates for my flag vest and without maps, and, uh, you know, I quickly realized just how um, we weren't there for the Iraqi people in any kind of way, and I was extended three times and my tour ended up being 15 months, and, um, you know, each step of the way I, I realized more and more the contradictions that, um, I had kind of believed growing up, um, just collapsed, uh, in the face of what I was seeing on the ground in Iraq. And, um, I came home and I was pretty isolated. I didn't know, uh, any other Iraq veterans as the first Iraq veteran to return to the university of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign. And, uh, at the time is really alienating. 70% of the country was supportive of the war and um what everyone was talking about and what was in the news was not reflective of my experience and um i ended up connecting with a lot of artists and um, i was involved with an art show called in war at war uh, that was just trying to highlight the fact that our country was at war and no one seemed to be paying attention and uh, during that uh, one of the organizers of the art show um, brought together, brought over a Vietnam veteran against the war member. His name was Joe, was Joe Miller. And, um, he showed a film and, uh, he showed sir, no, sir. And it just really exposed me to this long history of anti-war organizing within the veteran community. And, uh, it also made me realize that it was on me that as much as I was frustrated with, um, you know, our our country's lack of attention to the ongoing conflict, I actually had a lot of power as a veteran to organize and withdraw consent within the military for the ongoing war. And uh, that film helped me realize how important it was as a veteran to get active, to get organized. And I just jumped into it. Um, I attended a march in January 2007. I joined Iraq Veterans Against the War in the fall of 2006. January, 2007, I went to a national protest. They went to the national headquarters and I was like, we have to have a Chicago chapter. I wanna get active and get organized. And uh, I went back from that and helped form the Chicago chapter and um, been active organizing ever since. I think uh, veterans have a really important, unique role in uh, not just anti-war organizing, but in the longer history of social justice movements. And uh, I'm honored to like kind of connect with that lineage and that history.
1: What made you turn to art? Again, I've seen you in, I I can name the spaces, but I mean, it goes back to the Poor People's Campaign, not just what the work I saw you doing in Chicago, but at the national level, Um, you know, you're at the art center. Um, you know, engaging with young folks. Um, I see you. Um, you know the just the just seeds work that you're doing. I know you throw down with dissenters, um, which is you know, you know a youth led um, collective that's anti war in this space that is doing just amazing work. Um, so I'm curious, like, what made you turn to art, and then the extension of that. Um, you just brought up like your your role in the in the grassroots and, and really understanding the lineage of, of art i'm curious if you can talk a little bit about that arc
2: yeah um you know i didn't when i was deployed i didn't know anything um you know i was i uh, turned 21 and 22 on my deployment and i didn't know much about i didn't know anything about organizing activism anti-war work um and and i was just destroyed, you know, full of contradictions in the middle of my deployment. Um, but I knew that Picasso painted this painting called *Garnica*, that was a critical of the Spanish uh, of the Franco regime during the Spanish Civil War and um, and the bombings of Garnica. And um, I realized that art had this really important role to dissent against the violence and on a fundamental level I realized I didn't want to be a part of something destructive anymore I wanted to be a part of something creative and that just put me down this direction of art and uh I got, when I got back from the war I traveled through Europe and I went to all these you know the Louvre and all the big art museums I'd always heard about and I thought that's like you know how um, how I was to become an artist was to study all this, this art history. And, and while I was over there, I realized that there is this a massive lineage of artists making work critical of war. It's not as present in the U S context. And when I got back from that, I realized and began to get active in the art community. I realized that where that shows up, maybe not, isn't in the mainstream art community, but it's in the activist art community. And there's a long lineage of anti-war activist art that has been pushing back against militarism and against other forms of systemic violence. And just connecting into that history and learning from it and then trying to build build alongside it. Um, and that kind of is what brought me to the art. And I've seen how it's it's a survival. Cool. It's how communities tell their stories. It's how communities maintain stories in the absence of uh, institutional power. You know, how, how outside of these institutions that often are oppressive and, and violent, how do we maintain our community stories, our community stories of struggle and survival? And um, again and again, the arts are how people have maintained those stories and inspired each other and um, you know most recently I've been spending a ton of time talking to torture survivors torture survivors from the Chicago Police Department and torture survivors from Guantanamo and in both cases they've spoken about how art was a tool of survival you know is a way for them to maintain their humanity and assert their humanity in a dehumanizing institution and in dehumanizing situations and um, whether that's the mass incarceration system here in the us or that's our foreign policy and who's targeted by that people continue to resist in the most dehumanizing of spaces just with that creative gesture i mean The idea of being in a cell in Guantanamo and having absolutely nothing, nothing, yet the will to create, and that will being a threat to the institution because the institution can't accept the idea of a human expression because it's designed to dehumanize. And that will to create becomes this gesture of resistance that's just that just crumbles the systems, everything is based upon. And so to me, like art is this transformative power that, um, you know, people continually go back to. And I'm just honored to be in dialogue with it and help bring those stories out into the world and um, be a part of those stories and learn from them. So that's, you know, that's what's turned me to art, I guess, you know. Yeah long-winded answer
0: <laughs> no i mean that's that's so great it makes me think about um the first uh, action i did with about face was operation recovery and that portfolio because i was in omaha nebraska right the biggest military installation nearby is off at of air force base it's a uh, super red area like You can't really be anti-war in Omaha, Nebraska back in 2010 or, you know, whenever it was. And um, I got the Operation Recovery portfolio and um, put that up in a little cafe and organized um, veteran poets. And I had hundreds and hundreds of people come to that event that I think I would not have had if I didn't have, like, here is veteran art. Hear, hear what veterans, how they feel about war and uh, really awakening people to like what you were saying before, like, yeah, we are actively um, in a war um, and, uh, you know, it's being privatized and switched over to drones and, um, you know, the ways that the, quote, boots on the ground are being masked. Um, you know, there are still people there and um, and there are still people getting bombed and people getting hurt. Um, And it's a very hard message to strike up, strike up at the grocery store. Right. But if somebody sees like art um, talking about these issues, uh, representing these issues in a meaningful way, I think the conversation um, totally changes. So Mm -hmm. thanks for organizing uh, that portfolio back in the day.
2: Yeah. The war is trauma portfolio. Um, It came out of a street action. We did a Just Seeds held its national retreat here in Chicago, and they reached out to Iraq veterans against the war and asked if there was anything that they could do. And I was like, let's do some wheat pasting and uh, do a little street art campaign to raise the issues of military sexual trauma, traumatic brain injury, and post-traumatic stress disorder and war resistors. Because people just didn't know. At that time, PTSD was not in the discourse. And... Neither were TBI or MST and war resistors. People didn't know that there was thousands and thousands of people refusing to deploy, Many of the, some of them going to Canada, many of them going AWOL. And we wanted to bring that out to the public. And so we did a street art campaign. And a bunch of those graphics uh, then turned into a portfolio. We reached out to a bunch of veterans to contribute. And the specific messaging all came from Just Seeds and the voices of these Veterans and, and resist, war resisters. Um, you know, I think about um, Susan Swift, who has this extremely crazy, powerful story of you know resisting uh, deployment with people that assaulted her, and um, you know going to jail instead of deploying uh, with them, and speaking out about the history of sexual trauma in the military, and. Uh, Rodney Ewing, who's still up in Canada to this day, you know, he's still up there and just being able to bring their voices and their stories out and um, and then have these portfolios that then we could ship out to uh, members across the country to host art shows and to bring out the community and talk about these issues to get people engaged. And art is often it's a sometimes it can be an easier step for people to take to engage with art. And it can create space for people to contribute to the conversation as opposed to it being just a one-sided conversation which always ends up making things rich um, when you can get into a dialogue and dive into how complex these issues are and so um yeah that and that portfolio became a model for many other portfolios up to the one just did with the dissenters uh, called demilitarize and uh you know, that portfolio was all all the messaging came from the dissenters from this bipoc youth organis- anti-war organization and their vision of what anti-war means what de- demilitarization means what reclaiming their resources means and um you know then artists responded to that and now they have this portfolio that's been used on social media but then also in the streets and it's up right now it's in the uh, multiple galleries in different parts of the country. And so art has this way of engaging in different spaces and places that um, perhaps we can't always um, get to um, within social media or or even just within our own organizing.
1: Yeah, right on. Um, what projects are you working on now? <laughs>
2: um, well, I'm really active with Just Seeds. And, um, you know, we are always... Um, Collaborating with different social justice grassroots organizations. Um, we just did a big project here in Chicago, lifting up the General Irons uh, victory, which was a group of Southsiders uh, who protested and uh, dem- demonstrated and actually went on a hunger strike to prevent a aluminum recycling plant from coming to their community, uh, from a white community to a overwhelmingly black and brown community. It was clearly environmental racism that was happening And these individuals in the community rose up, they stood up, they spoke out and they shut it down and actually prevented it from happening. And so celebrating their victory, you know, we don't hear about these stories enough, these stories of people's power to actually change the situation. And so that's an example. And I have a a, help curate a show with Amber Ginsburg. Um, That's an exhibition at the DePaul Art Museum called Remaking the Exceptional Tea, Torture and Reparations which traces the interconnections between the police torture here in Chicago and the torture in Guantanamo and Abu Ghraib and other black sites around the world, like the salt pits in Bagram, um, and how literally the same people that were involved with torture in Chicago or with the Ohio police departments were involved with torture there, and how there's this interchange between the police and military, and often we don't talk about those things in our common discourse as them being connected, but they are. And in an intimate, so many ways that I know you all are always talking about, but it's not as common in the larger discourse. And simultaneously, how the movements are connected, how the movements for justice, the movements for reparations are connected. What is it? Chicago is the only city in the country to provide reparations for racially motivated police violence, police torture. And what does it mean to expand reparations? What does it mean to learn a craft of acknowledgement and apology and accountability for structural and institutional violence? You know, how do we start, especially as white people in this country, how do we start working on taking accountability for our role as people, as Americans, how do we take role for our our responsibility for our foreign policy and impact it's had across generations in so many countries? So that's a big part of that um that project um so yeah and i'm also working with the prison neighborhood arts education project i've been teaching at stateville prison um for about six years now and um we're doing murals by artists at stateville I spent the last year and a half designing murals and uh we continuously try and get those murals out into the streets with the idea that you know the the individuals inside the carceral systems are the ones that have the solution to changing into um decarcerating our society so um that's a a big part of uh the work and connecting you know militarism and the security state and the carceral state how are those things intimately connected how is it local and global and um just kind of tying into that lineage that really connects movements across communities as well
1: yeah, right on. Thanks, um, Aaron. That I mean, that's a lot of great work. Um, I'm curious, uh, what are you most proud of, um, in, in in all in all the work that you um, are doing or have done? Um, I don't. Yeah,
2: <laughs> curious to hear. That's your a, that's a, that's a really that's a that's a tough question. Uh, most proud of. Um, um, to be honest, you know, I'm most proud of my daughter. <laughs> I, uh, I have a daughter, she's two years old, and um, every time I look at her, I can't believe she's my daughter, you know, and um, she's just so amazing. Um, but uh, I'm just, you know, I don't, I'm just humbled. I feel like I've been really lucky to get to work with so many amazing, powerful Movement leaders and elders, um, and learn from them. And uh, I've I really appreciate that people have opened their door to me, and um, you know I just hope that I can do the same, and uh, you know help keep the intergenerational struggle going because it is an intergenerational struggle that um, we're building. So you know what does it mean to demilitarize this country in a systemic and structural way and i think that means you know a question that is an intergenerational question is about reimagining what this country is um and you know is it even possible when we when the country is rooted uh, in in colonial structure so these are like profound questions that we have to grapple with um and i think our and it creates space to dive into things that we don't have answers for or language for um, the traumas that the intergenerational traumas that so many people hold, um, and uh, create meaning out of it, which I hope can be a different a different thing than what what we what we currently are living in.
1: Yeah, your daughter is beautiful, um, probably, seriously. Uh, and to see you with her and beam with pride, um, but also show up for the community and be present um, the way you are um, is why I'm just honored to know you, call you friend, and to be um, in these movement spaces um, with you. Yeah, I just, I'm curious then before we um move to close. is there are there any final thoughts you know for folks who are organizing in this movement who you know find it um, difficult to make the connections that I that I hear you saying that you have and 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 you know um, you know in the many years and I would say decade that you've been doing this work do you have um, some motivation um, for folks who, are embarking on trying to understand um, and to help make those connections that you that you laid out that, that art has been your vessel, um, but again, just some 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 some, some you know um, some lessons, um, you know, and, and to really just share, I think some tangibles in terms of um, where people can find their place, perhaps, um, if that's not too big. Of, of a question to just kind of throw at you before we move to close. Love to hear your thoughts.
2: Well, the thing that kept coming to my mind is generosity. You know, um, I can't help but think about when I went back to Iraq in 2009 as a civilian, to a, as a representative of Iraq Veterans Against the War, as a representative of about Face veterans against the war, um, to the International Labor Conference in Erbil, Iraq. And, you know, I you know i said the organizers i was there just to document and you know sh- share back in the states the story of these all these workers from all over iraq that had come together to talk about the future of union organizing and worker rights within their country and um they invited a peace delegation from the u.s and i it was amazing i heard stories i had never heard about in the u.s stories of electrical workers you know surrounding and occupying a military base and shutting it down because it was how they got access to their power plant that they worked at and maintained and you know stories that i just were kind of unbelievable stories stories of people maintaining women's health clinics and schools and things i I just didn't hear about at all and they asked me to speak and uh, i didn't feel like i had a right to say anything to anybody but the organizers insisted and so i went on the stage in front of 400 some workers. And I said, you know, I was here in your country and my I pointed my weapon at your families and at your communities. And for that, I'm sorry, but I'm not here for forgiveness. I'm here to take responsibility. And afterwards, you know, I told them about the anti-war movement, about the number of people going AWOL and resisting the war and how the American people didn't support the war. And after I was finished speaking. This guy jumped up in the back of the auditorium, started yelling something in Arabic and booking down to the stage. And I thought he was going to come beat me up. And I was like, it's what I deserve. You know, I was here in his country. I'm a part of the problem. And I thought he was just going to knock me out. And just as he came up on stage to, you know, what I thought was punch me. Instead, he grabbed me and he hugged me. And I just started bawling. You know, I started crying. And, um, and he thanked me. And I just was just like, you know, he said, I just want to come up on stage and give this gentleman a hug is what he said. And um, I just, the generosity of that is something that is of that individual that was in the Iraqi military, the Iraqi worker, you know, totally devastated and impacted by our occupation that I was involved in, showed me like the overwhelming generosity I need to return. And I need to show up and offer back. And I feel like that's that's what I have to share with other people is that you know the generosity that individuals offer us is what we have to offer back. And um, I think creativity and art is one way of doing that. And anybody and everybody is an artist. Everyone can make a sign. Anyone can do it. You know download graphics. You can download graphics from Just Seeds. There's a whole graphics page and make your own protest posters and uh, signs. And I want to encourage everyone to do that. And, um, you know, you can go wheat pasting, you can put your words on the streets. Um, Everyone can do that. And so, you know, just um, I just want to share that, like, it's the little things and building those relationships on a local level. Um, and building community on local level for the long haul—that is really what builds the movement. And um, I hope that you know people have that time and opportunity to do that. And uh, I'll just plug one last thing: is uh, check out the Remaking the Exceptional um, podcast at t-project.org. It's um, it's a podcast that interviews all these torture survivors, and I think their ideas about what justice is, their ideas about what reparations is, I feel like that's something that we can all learn from.
0: Thanks, Aaron. I definitely feel like your call for people to make art as a way of resistance is um, really real. I know that a lot of times in veterans organizing, we would do stuff like warrior writers or visual arts and crusty ass veterans would be like, no, no, I'm not putting my feelings on pieces of paper. That's stupid. That doesn't stop the war. That doesn't do anything, right? But um, it's just time and time again, when having the vision of where we are supposed to be or being able to put out what is wrong um, visually, changes the conversation and it changes people. Uh, And it's a really uh, powerful form of resistance to be able to make art that interrupts the narrative that war is normal and good or that militarization um, is good to quote protect us, right? So, on that, um, you know, in, in veterans organizing art specifically, you gave us this um, this link of veteranartmovement.net. I'm going to put that up. Can you talk a little bit more about this?
2: I was just saying that, you know, within the history of veterans returning, there's a long history of veterans returning to the arts. And you know, um, a number of people that worked on the Black Panther paper uh, were veterans, um, and people that were involved with AIM, American Indian Movement, were veterans, and doing art with them, and um, just lifting up this this history that is a counter narrative. And when veterans turn to art and turn to creative outlets and turn to expressive things, it challenges the dominant narrative and helps, you know, push back. A little bit and I think you know I hope that people can connect to that history and, um, and be inspired by it and uh, know that it does make change anytime we're confronting that dominant narrative and altering it changing it creating space for other stories we're making change and so I, I want to ins- encourage people to definitely take advantage of that and the veteran art movement is one place that that work is happening, and it's just trying to connect the veteran artists that are out there, so people can have a dialogue and be engaged across and push each other. Because um, often veterans are kind of we're not pushed by the larger discourse, and uh, you know we're encouraged to kind of fall into tropes <laughs> and perpetuate nationalism or militarism in these other ways, and. What does it mean to be at a part of a community that's pushing each other to make better, more profound, more transformative work?
1: Yeah, that's so important. Listen, Aaron, thank you so much uh, for joining us. <laughs>
0: That was amazing. You just listened to an incredible episode of Drop the Mic Mondays with Aaron Hughes as a special guest and Shauna Foster, Natasha Erskine, anchoring that episode. I hope you learned a lot and that you'll share this episode with your friends to talk about how art can really move movement, even when we're talking about the most difficult of issues like violence and war, how it really changes things, how it can be the only thing we can do. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us five-star ratings so that more people can find us, share it with your friends, and as always, visit our store at store.aboutfaceveterans.org and buy our merch. Thanks so much for coming back and listening. We'll be back again next week with Lisa Ling talking about the Kill Cloud. <music>